Well, if you would, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm going to kind of pick up where Jerry left off last week, but I'm going to kind of backtrack a little bit, and hopefully it'll make sense to you why I'm doing this. Um, maybe it won't, but uh, I'm going to read um, chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 11 through um, 14 through 15, no, through 14, <clears throat> and then skip back to where Jerry left off, chapter 7, verse 2, and then come back and try to put them together, because they do kind of kind of go together uh, for a, um, uh, for, um, at least in my mind they do, hopefully they will in y'all's too. So, so 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, uh, Paul says this to the church at Corinth, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. And then I skip down to chapter 7, verse 2. <clears throat> Paul again says, make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. And I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together, and to live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. And then he takes up the narrative he left off in chapter 2, verse 5. He says, For even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted in every turn, fighting without <clears throat> and fear within. But God who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. So let's pray, and then we'll consider this portion of Scripture. <coughs> Excuse me. Father, again, as we um, open up your word today, I pray that uh, as we... Uh, glean from it uh, what Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, that we will understand his love for the church, the local church at Corinth, and the love that we should have between believers. Uh, I pray that it will be evident from uh, the word. Please uh, allow me not to misspeak or to misrepresent anything, but just uh, give us all wisdom, and may your spirit lead us in your son's name. Amen. So, the reason I think these go together is because love between believers, love between those that are of God is commanded of us, number one, in the Bible, everywhere, but that love should be for one another. It's not the love like the world uh, portrays love, but it's, it's, not, uh, it's, it's the love that wants the best for someone else. Uh, the love, the biblical love, the agape love that we have studied and we studied in Certainly in 1 Corinthians 13, it speaks of it um, uh, in great detail, but that's the love that we are commanded to have, love for one another, love between brother and brother. In a local church, it would be love between love from the shepherd to the sheep, that love the sheep should have for the shepherd, love sheep should have between sheep. It's, it's anyone who is of God should have this love for each other and this concern for each other, which is... What Paul demonstrates in these particular sections that we're talking about. 
So just to uh, quote a few scriptures before we get started on that about love between believers. John 13, 34 and 35, is John, uh, these are words of Jesus. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John 15, verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17, these things I command you, you love one another. Uh, Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 13, owe no one anything except to love each other. Um, 2 Corinthians 13, 11, uh, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Galatians 5, 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, <clears throat> only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Ephesians 4, 2, um, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, bearing with one another. First Thessalonians 4, 9, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. It is God who teaches us to do that. It is God who loved us first. First Peter 1, 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 1 John 3.11 For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. It's not anything new. It's, any, it's what has been taught from the beginning. In 1 John 4.11 Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. In 2 John 1.5 Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning that we love one another. Well, I think it's clear that we are commanded and taught to love each other as brothers. Um, and that is what Paul exhibits to the church at Corinth. Um, again, the church at Corinth is a local church. Providence is a local church, okay? Uh, as Jason taught in, in Tuesday night Bible studies, the idea of a church, you know, there's the true church, everyone whose name was written in the book of life, and there's a local church of all professing believers who show evidence of, of that, okay, that they've been saved by grace, you know, for the glory of God, that we live amongst. Now, we won't live amongst all the true church, everyone, but we certainly live amongst our local church, and that is who, that is the church at Corinth that Paul founded. Um, their members professed Christ. Uh, remember, Paul planted it in Acts uh, 18 that, that is there, but he was their spiritual father. They were his spiritual children, um, and as a father loves children and wants what's best for his children, Paul loved that church and wanted what was best for that church. Now, we can look at that church in the scripture and know that it's, it had its problems. Okay, all churches do. Um, but Paul loved them. Paul loved them. Uh, and his heart was nearly broken when these false teachers came in and the troubles that they caused in the church 
But then Paul writes this letter out of that grief and out of that anxiety that he had. Um, and Paul had, had uh, concern and anxiety for really all the churches that he founded. In chapter 11, he, when he lists all his afflictions that he goes through, and then at the end, I have the constant anxiety for all my churches. So Paul had that because of his love that he had for that. So just briefly, kind of the background again, this to, to see where Paul is writing this from and how we can, um, <clears throat> how we can learn from it. Uh, he founded the church, like I said, and it's described in Acts chapter 18. Uh, they had good teachers. They had Apollos. They had Peter came, <clears throat> but they had their troubles. Even these good teachers caused divisions among them. Um, they had sexual immorality in the church that he had to address in 1 Corinthians. They misused spiritual gifts. They had doctrinal issues. They had issues about marriage. Um, they had issues about freedom in Christ and causing another uh, brother to stumble. Uh, and so that first letter to the Corinthians addresses many of those issues. But then a new problem arose after, he, after Paul had written that letter. A new problem arose in that these false teachers came about um, seeking to give a false gospel, a false doctrine into the church. And they did that by, by attacking Paul uh, and his gospel. And so Paul learns of this, and then he visits that church in Corinth. We don't have record of the visit other than what is uh, uh, spoken to us in, in Paul's letter. So, as a matter of fact, just so we get the idea, turn back to chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians. Um, chapter 2, verse 1, Paul makes this painful visit. That's how he describes it, a painful visit. Um, and, he's, and during this visit, we don't know exactly what happened other than more than likely he was either verbally attacked by the false teachers or someone who sided with the false teachers, but it was a painful visit to him, not, not physically painful, but mentally painful because it seemed that the church didn't, uh, didn't take up for him, uh, the church that he founded, the church that he loved. So it was very painful. He had seen that he was rejected by that church. Um, so this church that he had founded and loved and worried over uh, had really seemingly turned on him and away from the true gospel. Um, but because of Paul's deep love for the church, his love that wants the best for that church, um, and although he was seemingly emotionally distraught over it, anxious, he wrote them another letter addressing that visit that he refers to, um, again there in chapter 2, um, verse 4, he said, I wrote you out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So this letter that we do not have a copy of is sometimes referred to as a severe letter. It seems that Paul had addressed uh, the episode, the painful visit that he had sustained to them in a letter that was in no way apologetically, but calling them to repent, calling them out on what they had done that was not right and, and uh, letting them know that he did that out of his love and his concern for the church. That was, that was his only reason for doing that. And so then he writes this letter. He sends it probably with Titus, his child in the faith. Uh, maybe not. Maybe sent it before. But either way, he sends Titus now to go to the church in Corinth after he writes this severe letter, uh, find out how they took the letter. What happened? Did, did, did they 
you know, did, did Paul lose them to the false teachings of the false teachers? Did, uh, how did, how's the church doing? You know, did they, did they welcome Titus or did they treat him like Paul? Did it, was it a painful to him? Paul sends Titus uh, for that. But then in chapter 13, it, it says here, while he's waiting on that to happen, again, obviously communications at that point in time were much different. He couldn't, you know, text somebody over there and find out what's going on in the church, but there's a significant period of waiting uh, that we are not used to today. We don't wait for anything today. Uh, but there's this period of waiting. And during that waiting, he, an opportunity opened up for him in Troas, an opportunity to minister to the gospel. And he, he mentions down there in chapter 2, verse um, 12, he says, And when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open to me for the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave with them and went on to Macedonia. So Paul has this opportunity He's waiting on to find out what's going on with the church at Corinth, waiting on Titus, but he's, and thinking he might meet him at, at Troas, but he's not there. So he takes leave then and goes to Macedonia. Now, uh, at that point in chapter 2, he kind of stops his uh, uh, description of his, um, his narrative, basically. And then from that point all the way up to chapter 7, he speaks of his ministry and the apostles' ministry, and then he returns to this back in chapter 7. So let's go back to chapter 7, verse 5, where he kind of picks up on this. Um, chapter 7, verse 5. So for even when I came to Macedonia, that is after he had left Troas, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. So Paul goes to Macedonia. As you recall, Macedonia is the region where Philippi is. He founded the church at Philippi in in Acts chapter 16. As you recall there, although he planted a church, the town probably didn't like him a whole lot. You know, he uh, drove that demon out of the slave girl, um, and then that started a mob. Uh, they beat him. Uh, they threw him in jail. Um, and as you recall, he was singing hymns. The chains fell off, and... Uh, the jailer was saved, okay? But then when, when it came time to let him go, they realized Paul made it clear to them he's a Roman citizen and all this was done unfairly. So he made them essentially apologize to him for what they did. He wasn't just going to leave town quietly. So he left kind of a bitter taste in the mouth of most of the people in this region. So he returns there, and it's probably the same way, uh, fighting without fear within, uh, afflicted uh, again in Macedonia. So at every turn, at every turn, uh, all the time he was he was not only uh, facing affliction from from outward uh, conflict, uh, but also within. Okay, he gets there, he still hadn't seen Titus yet. Okay, so he's still troubled about his church at Corinth. Um, but then, uh, verse six, but God. That's always a great starting to a sentence. Who comforts the downcast, and Paul was certainly downcast at this time, um, comforted him by the coming of Titus. So Titus shows up now at Macedonia, and it's not just the fact that Titus showed up. It's not just the fact that he came home and Paul is reunited with him. 
It's not like when you begin letting your kids drive and you sit up all night and wait for them to come, or sit up wondering when they're going to come home, and then they come home, ah, they're there, I'm good. Okay. It wasn't just that. It was more than that. It, it, was, it was the message that Titus brought after being at Corinth. So it was not just the fact that Titus showed up, although he was glad to see him. Um, it was the message that he brought, that the church had repented, that the church still did love Paul, and that is what comforted uh, Paul. And it speaks to, in verse uh, 7, um, it says, Not only by his coming, by Titus's coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, speaking that the church actually welcomed Titus, comforted him there. And then Titus told us of, your, of the church's longing, mourning, zeal, so that he rejoiced even more. So, so the longing, the mourning that they had wronged Paul uh, all of that comforted Paul. All of that comforted Paul. So immediately prior to returning to this narrative about Macedonia is what we talked, what Jerry talked about last week, is the, uh, is the section here where he speaks of them not being unequally yoked with unbelievers. And specifically what he's talking about is the false teachers that were in the church. Because they were unbelievers. You know, they would profess Christ, but their gospel uh, belied their true, uh, their true beliefs. And so, and then he brackets what Jerry spoke, that section about being unequally yoked with immediately before it um, the, the love that he expressed. And then immediately after it, uh, the love that he expressed. And again, remember, this is a local church, not unlike any other local church, it had its problems, but it had certainly those uh, that loved the Lord in it. Uh, and um, so Paul ex exhibits this, this love that he had for the church. Going back to chapter 6, verse 11 again, this is immediately prior to not being unequally yoked. So in chapter 6, verse 11, Paul states this to the church of Corinth. says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, our heart is wide open. So by speaking freely, honest, straightforward, um, candidly, he didn't hold anything back. He um, uh, kind of like he did in, in, uh, when he spoke to the Ephesians elders, when he met with them at the end in Acts 20, he said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Okay, and in 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God which is what he did. He spoke freely to the Corinthians uh, when he was there in his letters. Everything was the truth and love. Um, and it came from his heart. Um, you know, Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart you speak. Okay, well, that's exactly, exactly what Paul did. His heart, he knew his heart was right with God. He knew that God knew his heart and that he was speaking truthfully. He knew he didn't have any ulterior motives for proclaiming the gospel and teaching them the truths of the word of God. Out of his heart, he spoke. And he spoke to him really uh, uh, about three things. He spoke to him about God and God's word, okay? Um, uh, and God's standard, what God expects. He spoke to him very bluntly about sin. Sin, and you know, um, and it wasn't in the, you know, nowadays to confront someone or speak to someone about their sin is considered unloving, okay? 
but we understand if we don't speak to them about their sin, okay, sin just potentiates. It kind of just keep no one speak to them. They get comfortable in it, and it keeps on going. So the most loving thing you can do, as Paul did to the church at Corinth, is to speak to them, to speak the truth in love about their sin. And that's what he did. That's what he confronted, certainly in 1 Corinthians. It's, he speaks many places about that. And more than likely, this severe letter that we don't have that he had written after he had made that painful visit confronted that also. Um, and then he spoke to them about his affection for them. Um, look at the end of, of verse 11 there. He says, our heart is wide open. Um, not only did he kind of bear his feelings to the Corinthians, okay, this is the Apostle Paul, the founder of the church. He bears himself in front of them. But he also says it's, it's wide open. There's room in my heart for, for all y'all. All y'all, if he was in the South. Um, so he, in spite of Paul's grief and sorrow and this painful visit that, that caused him that grief and sorrow, um, the fact that he would write this letter to them, express his love to them, okay, really demonstrates that his love for them was genuine love, was agape love. Um, it wasn't dependent on how they treated him, okay? He, he treated them like they should be treated. Um, and that's something that, that we all have a hard time. Certainly if we're wronged, like Paul was wronged here, if someone um, is mean to us, wrongs us unfairly or, or unjustly, you know, our flesh does one of two things, either gets angry <laughs> or it just says, um, forget ye. Yeah, I just forget it. I, you know, just kind of drop it. You know, and Paul didn't do either one of those things. Okay, because of his genuine love, his genuine concern for the well-being of those at Corinth, he pursues them. He writes them. He uh, he chastises them if necessary. He speaks the truth in love. So he's he's proving that his love for them is the real deal. Um, then in verse twelve, he. he he goes on and says, you are restricted, you are not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own, your own, your own affections. So the word restrictive literally means to make narrow or to confine. And so what Paul's really saying here is we've done nothing to uh, restrict how you feel about us. We have just done nothing but speak the truth. Um, but some of you Corinthians are believing these lies of these false teachers and now your affections are over to them, so you're just restricting yourself on how you feel about, uh, about Paul. Um, and so Paul, again, proves his love is, is, is genuine uh, because although he had been attacked and uh, maligned, um, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things. He, he took it. He took it. Um, he didn't just, you know, backlash at him. That's not what true love does. And then in verse 13, he says this, um, in return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. So in return means kind of in like exchange, okay? The same way that I am showing my love to you. And he says, I'm, and he was their father, and he's speaking to them like they're his spiritual children, which they are. Um, he says, um, you need to open your heart like I'm opening my heart to you. 
I want this to be reciprocated. That's the only way, um, you know, that he, he was bearing his hurt. I mean, they could see that he was, he was hurt. Uh, he loved them, but they were showing ill will to him. And so that, you could probably describe that as, as unrequited love. And we know how painful that can be to someone, to all of us. I mean, we've all been there at some point in time, whether it was in your younger year, you, you know, that girl, the sun, the sun rose, the sun set in her eyes, but she just didn't care for you. You know, unrequited love. Or a spouse, a spouse that would, uh, uh, you know, be unfaithful, uh, fall out of love leave you and you still love them i mean that's that's hurtful that's very very painful um or a child that you love very much that has gone astray or, or, or disowned you uh you know all those things are very painful and that's how paul that that's the situation paul was in he continued to love them but they had strayed away from uh, them so he, and, and this thing is really, he's really pleading, he's, he's begging them to open their heart. Um, he wants their love in return because, as you know, that very next section now, he's going to instruct them on what, he, what they need to do. And so he knows that they, if they're continuing to, to have their affection on the false teachers and what was happening, that, that probably wasn't going to happen. So, um, so Paul, again, exhibits his love. Uh, because love, um, you know, love believes all things. Love believes what is best for Corinth. Love, love hopes all things. Love hopes that the the church at Corinth is going to turn around. And it doesn't uh, believe all things in certainly in a naive way, but it wants to believe the best in people. It wants not to look on the negative side. Uh, so Paul knew that in order to uh, restore this relationship between he and the church, um, that that was necessary for them not to follow the false teachers. Okay, so he, uh, uh, he writes this letter. So he, he expresses his love to them, wants their love in return, and then he gets to uh, uh, verse 14 where he says, do not be un, um, <clears throat> unequally yoked with unbelievers. And and he's speaking specifically here to the false teachers that were in there. He says, he says, and this is the instruction, you've got to come out from that. That's not, uh, they're false. They're carrying you down the wrong path. You know, you under, have to understand the true gospel. He goes, he goes uh, these false teachers, like, like we spoke of, they may have professed Christ, but they were carrying uh, a demon doctrine, really, a legalistic doctrine. So he's saying you've got to come out. You've got to be separate. You've got to be different. You have nothing in common with that. It's like light and dark. It's like lawlessness and righteousness. Um, you have nothing in common with those unbelievers. And then after he gives them those instructions, he goes immediately back to, to verse 2 in chapter 7. He says this, make room in your hearts for us. Okay, make room in your hearts for us. So he goes right back to his plea for them. Um, and then he says, he, he, he speaks of his... Um, uh, love for them in that when he was here when he was at the church at Corinth he says we have wronged no one we've corrupted no one we've taken advantage of no one so he has proved his love to the church at Corinth over the years certainly with his founding and his letters that he has, has stated to him and his actions and his words have demonstrated that love for them by wronging no one he's, he's treated no one uh, unjustly um, 
one of the uh, one of the accusations of Paul was that he was harsh and maybe as you recall in first Corinthians um, the uh, sexually immoral person in the church he turned them over to Satan they could have thought that was maybe uh, uh, too harsh and treated unjustly but as we know he treated sin appropriately in that uh, in that incident uh, and he said we have not we've corrupted no one that's speaking of moral corruption and in fact just the opposite was true he was being accused of corrupting people the false teachers were the ones that were morally corrupting him by teaching a false doctrine um, and so it's very important and I think Jerry mentioned 1 Corinthians 15 33 Jason mentioned it yesterday bad company corrupts good morals that is something that 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 should probably be the first memory verse we teach our children. Don't you think? Don't you think? But and it's also real important in church membership because you have to be discerning, really, as well in church membership. Because if you're, uh, you know, not just sign a card, let anyone in, but you need to know they have a true profession of faith. If they don't, it's bad company in the midst of the flock. It's tares in the midst of wit. So it's important to to understand that. And it says we've taken advantage of no one. The idea there is manipulating them for financial gain. As you recall, that was one of the uh, accusations that they were giving Paul. But as we also know, Paul never took a penny from the Corinthians. He worked day and night. Uh, and although he has that section where he says he was do that, he says, I'm not going to do it because it could get in the way of the gospel. So he never took anything from them. So they never took advantage of anyone. Um, <clears throat> um, and in fact, the false teachers were the ones that, that Paul describes in, in chapter 2 of uh, peddlers of God's word. <clears throat> so Paul wasn't seeking his own, 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Paul, love does not seek its own. He was not seeking an advantage. He was not seeking uh, anything for himself. But he was demonstrating uh, this true love. And then in, um, he goes on to say, he said, I don't say this to condemn you, for I said before that you're in our hearts to die together and to live together. So Paul's not writing this to condemn them. He's not writing them to, to be the final judge on them. He knows he's not the final judge. Uh, but he's writing them to let them know that he has spoken to them truthfully, uh, lovingly. Um, he called them to repentance in, in this letter. And uh, as, as, uh, as Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. He's speaking to them in truth for their own good. And when a friend comes and calls you on something, that's the person you listen to. When a non-friend calls you on something, you can take it or leave it, okay? But it uh, depends on what he's calling you out of. So, uh, so Paul, <clears throat> Paul, again, exhibits this love because, because uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Paul is not uh, returning the evil that the church had done to them by, by this painful visit and whatever they had spoken evil about him. He's not doing that. He, he, uh, he's not returning. He's not getting back. He's not condemning them in any way. Uh, he, he has this love for them, and, and love covers a multitude of sins. So in the second half of that verse, he says, you're in our hearts to die together and live together. And I love that verse because, you know, it's, it's signifying this loyalty that, that people have. You know, people can, can uh, make this um, commitment to people that we're going to live together. And if that ends, in, you know, all the way up to the time we die. And that's a, 
kind of a show of loyalty that you have. Um, and that's certainly part of what Paul is saying here. But if you notice, he reverses the order. You know, typically we live and then we die. Isn't that the order most of it comes? Okay, he's saying we're going to die together and then live together. And when we think about that, that's just a very Christian outlook on the love that he has. He goes, we're going to live together in eternity. You know, we may not, like we said, we're not going to live together with all the people that are in the true church in the whole world. But in the local church, you will. Okay. And he goes, and we're going to die again. We're going to live for eternity. So I love that. He goes, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what separates us from these false teachers. And that's what separates us from these false uh, believers uh, also. So we're going to physically die. So, so then in verse 4, which is really, when you consider the whole situation, for Paul to say this is, is just really surprising. It seems like it's kind of almost out of place. He's been wronged by the church uh, at Corinth. He says, I'm acting with great boldness towards you, and that word could be translated confidence, spoken freely to you. Um, uh I have great pride in you. I'm filled with all comfort and all affliction. I'm overflowing with joy. Uh, it's a little surprising he would say that after all he's been through um, and all the church in Corinth had done to him and exhibited. Um, but Paul was not basing that pride and that comfort and that boldness and that confidence in the church. He wasn't basing it on their on their track record because... The Church of Corinth didn't have a real good track record. Um, but he, he was basing it on the love that he had for them, that, 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 that his love for them, his uh, believes all things, hopes all things, he was looking um, at the expectation of that church that God had for that church, okay? That, that God would complete the saving work that he started in them. And therefore, he could speak confidently about them. He could speak boldly about them and to them. Um, and have pride in you. That could be translated, uh, great is my boasting on your behalf. And so why would he boast on this church at Corinth? They seem to have been um, kind of going the wrong way. But, but he even boasted before he had gotten a letter from Titus when he learned that they had repented and turned back to Paul. Uh, in, chap in verse 14 of chapter 7, uh, he says this, For whatever boast I made to him, speaking to Titus before he left about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved to be true. So he spoke boastingly, he spoke pridefully of the church at Corinth to Titus when he sent Titus with this letter, with this severe letter. Uh, and that was because he had this confidence in that church that they were the Lord's people, that the Lord had started a good work in them, and he would complete it. And that gave him joy, and that gave him joy and comfort. It, it filled, um, uh, uh, you know, Paul obviously really loved him a lot to say that it gave him joy after all the sorrow they put him through. But, but it's kind of the whole reason I, I, I feel that the Holy Spirit kind of includes these verses that typically we just kind of skim over. You know, they're pretty kind of connecting kind of things. Um, but 
although the, the church in Corinth had certainly treated him uh, unfairly, caused him pain, caused him much sorrow, they were fellow Christians, they were his spiritual children, um, and he continued to show them that love and continued to have joy for that. Because he never compromised the truth with them. He always spoke the truth to them in love. He, when they needed uh, calling out, he called them out. When they needed to repent, he told them they needed to repent. Um, but he always saw the church at Corinth <clears throat> like you and I. And that is that we're an unfinished work. An unfinished work. None of us are perfect. None of us are going to treat each other the way we ought to. We may have a bad day. We may say something we don't like. We may just not like someone and say something we don't like, which is, which is part of being the remaining flesh and part in the fallen world. But he saw them as that. It's an unfinished work. And so that's really what we all are. Paul showed that kind of love to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth repented and showed that back to Paul. Uh, we, in treating each other, must love one another. We must serve one another. We must comfort one another. We, 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 we mourn when, they, when our brothers mourn. We rejoice when they rejoice. Uh, it's part of being uh, a true Christian is what it is. So I think Paul exhibits that very plainly in and among the instructions and the, um, uh, the instructions that he gives the church at Corinth to come out from these false teachers, to repent from their sins, uh, but he does it in a way that shows true love. And so that's, that's what we're all called to do. Uh, love one another. It's not a new commandment. It's been there from the beginning. Uh, so let's pray. Father, we uh, again thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the um, love that you have given us that allows us then to love others, dear Lord. And we pray that we will follow that spirit in us as we treat each other. Dear Lord, though, but when um, difficulties arise, feelings are hurt, sins are committed, dear Lord, let us be truthful. Let us be truthful and bold in that um, and do it according to your word, dear Lord. Uh, thank you again for this time and this gathering. Um, be with us as we worship you. In your son's name, amen.